Ministry. Proverbs is what we're walking through this summer. And just as a refresher, let's see how many of you remember this, or you might just be smarter than me and know it. So there's kind of a growth process, if you want to think of it as how we grow into wisdom. And it starts with gaining knowledge. Knowledge is all about facts. And then facts eventually turn into understanding, where we get to figure out really what's the meaning behind it. And we begin to work with the facts and begin to have some meaning. And then that understanding eventually, if we allow it to, will grow into wisdom where we're actually doing something with the knowledge, with the understanding, and that wisdom begins to direct us. It actually dictates our, our decisions. One of the big decisions that we see throughout the book of Proverbs, it's a major theme, is which way do I go? You know, we face that all the time. It's like, okay, well, I'm faced with two options. Which one do I go with? Uh, I'm faced with two paths. Which one should I go down? I have two opportunities. Which one do I go through? I have a whole lot of options around me. How do I know what to actually do? And it can feel like this. Here's a picture of, of a path, of a, a potential option. You could go down this path, right? Now there's another option, and it looks more like this. That's another option. Now I'm going to play the eye doctor for a second. Go back to number one. We're going to go to number one, number two, number one, number one. Now, there's probably some adventuresome people that are, you're, you're just a junkie when it comes to wanting to take risks and, and all of that. How many of you, and, and I really want a show of hands here, how many of you, given between number one, go over to number two again, just so we get a clear picture, or that one, go back to number one. How many of you actually would choose this? If you're going down, man, I, I can't see who you are, but I'm not shocked. There's a handful of you. Yeah, you, you're going down the path and you're like, sleepy hollow, cruising down, you know, the boulevard in California kind of look. You're like, no, I, let's, let's see what happens, right? You're a risk junkie, risk taker when it comes to that. Now go to number two for me. Here's the rest of us, right? And just make sure that you're not sleeping. How many, how many is that? Yeah, there you go. There's the rest of us that look at that path and say, that's the convertible down, let's just cruise, right? And, and throughout our lives, we're constantly given different paths to take. And, and how do we figure that out? So here's my aha moment I'm going to share with you all this morning. If you have your Bibles, head over to Proverbs chapter 16. We're going to look at several different Proverbs, but the first one is going to be Proverbs 16, verse 25. And it speaks to these different options we have in life, these different paths that lay before us. How do we know which one to take? Here's my aha, 1625 out of Proverbs. There is a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to death. There's a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to death. Now, here's the very difficult part with that proverb, with that verse. How do we make decisions then? <laughs> if it appears right, it would have been a lot nicer and cleaner and easier if this passage said, the ways that appear right are right. The ways that appear wrong are wrong you can figure it out and take it from there. That would be a lot easier. But what we have is we have creepy, sleepy, hollow, and then cruising downtown kind of a path. And we're like, well, scripture just told me there's a way that appears right, but it actually might not be right. So I should go with the creepy, sleepy, hollow one, right? Well, not necessarily. So we're in this odd spot of, okay, it might appear right, but it might lead me to death. Well, I don't want that. So what am I supposed to do? And we don't know how to make decisions at that point. All this proverb is telling us is what we shouldn't do. And what that shouldn't do is don't make the decision on your own. Don't make the decision on your own because obviously if it appears right to us, it may or may not be right. It's very difficult, almost near impossible for us to always tell on our own. So Solomon, the writer of most of these proverbs, he kind of lays that out there 
But then throughout Proverbs, he answers it. He doesn't just leave us with a problem. Don't do what seems right. It might actually be wrong. Good luck. He says, no, let's walk through how to actually begin to make that decision so you know which paths to take, even though it might seem different than what we would choose. So Proverbs chapter 7 begins to unpack a lot of this. Here's the first part of Proverbs chapter 7. It says, my son, keep my words and store up my commands within you. Keep my commands and you will, what's this word? Live. Keep my commands and you will live. Guard my teachings as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers, write them on the tablet of your heart. So he lays out, he lays out almost the problem. Well, you can't always do what just appears right because it may in fact lead you to death. So here's how you do make decisions. Here's the wisdom, not just the facts, not just the understanding and the understanding of the meaning, but the true wisdom is keep my commands and you will, what was it again? Live. Keep my commands and you will live. He lines it out saying that's how you choose because it can't be left up just to us. Imagine this. Uh, hopefully you're getting away. You're doing some kind of a vacation or going somewhere, doing something this summer. Uh, my family and I, we are going down to Gulf Shores. Never been there before. Should be a lot of fun. We're going to meet my parents and my sister and her family uh, all down at Gulf Shores next month. And especially never being there before, I don't know how to get there. So I figured here would be the best way for us, to, for me to take my family to Gulf Shores, is to get everybody in the van and, and to pull out to the edge of our neighborhood and look over at my wife, Becky, and say, which way you want to go? Ah, I'm feeling left today. And we turn left. We get down to the next street light. The new intersection's to the right, so I'm going to go left because I don't want to deal with that. So I'm going to turn left. We go down, and then we get, we get down close to an interstate. Well, which interstate you want to take? Well, that one has some orange barrels, so let's take that one. I mean, could you imagine driving on a trip, even with a destination in mind? You, you know where you want to go, but your way for getting there is just however I feel in the moment. I'll decide when I get there. I'll see which has the less traffic and the less construction, and, and I'll just figure it out from there. That's often how we, how we make decisions, is we look at the different paths and the different options and just say, eh, I feel like that one today. I prefer that one. That one appears right right now. Remember, there are, there's a way that appears right, but in the end will lead to death. Here's how we actually do it. Did you know they still make these? They do. They do. Growing up, uh, my parents would always get one of these, and we would kind of unveil our family vacation with the map. And so uh, I tried to show my kids this, and they were just like, your phone does that, Dad. And I'm like, yes, son, I know. And yes, I know you know how to work it, and you're not even five yet. So what we do, and especially growing up even, is we would put, okay, here's where we are, here's where we want to go, and then we would highlight out our route, and that's how we would, would get there. And so you can tell here, if you can see, I've highlighted it. There's our house up here. There's Gulf Shores, and there is a very obvious route to get to Gulf Shores. If I started just going any direction I felt like going at the time, who knows where we would end up? And you can tell, especially by this map, there's a lot of roads, agreed? <laughs> there's a lot of roads. There's a ton of options. There are many, many paths that you could choose to take, and the choice is yours. But if you want to get to Gulf Shores, that's the path you've got to take. You can't leave it up to just doing what, I'm not even going to try to fold this, hang on. We're just going to put that over there. There's a reason they went to Siri and GPS and everything, because you can't even fold them back up. 
But there's a right way and a wrong way. We need, we need to not just know that, but believe that and then apply that. And I would hope and pray that whether you're a, a believer right now or not, that you would begin to get to the place where you could say, I believe that God knows the right way. And to the point eventually where I believe that God's way is the right way. That's what scripture's telling us here. Keep my commands and you will, what was the word again? Live. Because every way that appears right actually may not be right. It actually might lead you to the opposite of that, death. So if we can't leave that decision making up to us, if we can't choose this path on our own, because we don't really have a great perspective of where that's gonna lead us, we need to follow the map. We need to follow God's commands and believe and trust that God's way is the right way. Know that God's way is the right way. Even though you're looking at it, it's like, are you sure, God? Because, I mean, it seems like that might be the right way. But God's word says this way. Okay, I will follow that way. Believe that God's way is the right way. That's how we stay not just on the right path, but that's how we continue to move in the direction that God is leading us. Now, Solomon, the writer here, doesn't just leave it at that. He actually gives a story. And that's what the rest of chapter seven is, is a story. Now, whether it's a real story that he truly observed or if he's writing as kind of a parable, a, a fake story with a point, we don't know, but the story is gonna get that point across. When you're faced with two paths, when you're faced with different options, what does it look like to choose the right one or the wrong one? So he lays out this story and here's how he begins it. Verse six, at the window of my house, I looked down through the lattice. I saw among the simple, I noticed among the young men, a youth who had no sense. That's why we have an awesome student ministry because youth, if you didn't know this, a lot of times have no sense. And so as we partner with you parents, we hope to disciple them in the right direction with you, not for you. You can't drop your kids off and expect me to fix them, but we will help you help them. Deal? All right. If you drop off your kids, hey, Brian, fix them. I'll see you next week. It's not gonna work. But that's, that's, that's a perspective right here, isn't it? He said, at the window of my house, I looked down and I saw among the simple, I saw a man, I saw a young man, a youth that had no sense. Now understand the perspective is key. This isn't a peer looking at, at, at another peer. This is Solomon from his perspective saying, no, I looked down and I'm gonna watch this chain of events unfold. That's why it's important for us to follow God's way. He has a much bigger perspective than us. He's looking down and he sees how all of our decisions, how they're gonna lead us and where they're gonna lead us. And so he's told us, here's how you need to make your decisions. That's the wisdom piece. Follow his way, trust his way is the right way. And so Solomon kind of uses that perspective. I looked down and I saw among the young men a youth who had no youth, or a youth that had no sense. Verse eight. Here he begins to describe what was happening. He was going down the street near her corner, walking along in the direction of her house at twilight as the day was fading, as the dark of night set in. Then out came a woman to meet him, dressed like a prostitute and with crafty intent. Now this story, as you can tell, is gonna be about a young man and a prostitute. And, and, and that's gonna relate to a lot of us that in this room that, okay, there's a struggle, there's a temptation. But don't let it just be about that temptation or that sin or that struggle. You can fill in the blank with any temptation, any struggle, any, any immorality. Immorality, you could insert here with the prostitute. He's using that as a placeholder to say, you are gonna be faced with other choices. You're gonna be faced with other temptations, other paths, other routes to take. And he's gonna walk through what it looked like for this young man to interact with that choice. Do I follow God's way? 
or another way. That's what immorality is, anything other than God's way. So don't let this story just be limited in your mind to adultery. Let it be fill in the blank of the sin, the temptation, the struggle that you face. Insert it in here because it's gonna go through the exact same process. So verse 11, he begins to describe her crafty intent. The crafty intent of our temptations, of our struggle, of the enemy, because the enemy is trying to pull us away from God. If we are following God's path, the enemy's job, the devil's job is to pull us away from him, to redirect us, to lead us astray, and he does it with great craft. So here's the crafty intent. Verse 11 says, she is unruly and defiant. He's describing her. She's unruly and defiant. Her feet never stay at home. Now in the street, now in the squares, at every corner she lurks. She took hold of him and kissed him, and with a brazen face, meaning a bold face, no shame, no ounce of regret or remorse, she says this, Today I fulfilled my vows, and I have come from my, or I have food from my fellowship offering at home. So I came out to meet you. I looked for you and have found you. I've covered my bed with colored linens from Egypt. I've perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us drink deeply of love till morning. Let's enjoy ourselves with love. My husband is not at home. He's gone away on a long journey. He took his purse filled with money and will not be home till full moon. Now, just in that description, partially of what she said and even parts of what she didn't say, the crafty intent of the enemy in regarding our sin, our temptations, our struggles with immorality. Notice first, it gives the, the proximity, even the environment says that her feet never stay at home, now in the street, now in the square, at every corner she lurks. In other words, this is everywhere. And that's where we would see Solomon saying, this isn't just about a man's struggle with, with adultery. This is about the human struggle of temptation and sin. The human struggle of temptation and sin is everywhere. We never, you heard Andrew talk about it earlier, where, man, when we make Jesus the Lord and Savior of our life, the forgiver and leader of our life, we have this hope that, oh, everything's just gonna be perfect now. It's smooth sailing from here on out. No, it is a bumpy road. It is a difficult road. Road not meant to be traveled alone because it's, it's almost impossible to do it on your own. Because along that road of still walking with God, there are so many temptations that continue to come, to come after us and they're everywhere. We never get to a point in our Christian life where we say, I have conquered all my sins. no. There's a constant battle. There's a constant struggle. And he makes the point, it's happening everywhere you go. Yes, you could look at the story and say, well, he wasn't where he was supposed to be. He was walking around her corner at twilight. Daylight was fading. It was getting to be dark. Sure, he should not have been there. But it also is that she came out to meet him. What does the next part here say? It says, she, at every corner, she took hold of him, kissed him, and then even went on and says, I came out to meet you. I looked for you and I have found you. So not just are our temptations everywhere, they're pursuing us. The enemy is coming after each and every one of us with those temptations, whatever it might be, fill in the blank. Man, I've been really trying to follow God, but I just feel like I'm constantly being distracted. Yeah, that's the enemy's job, like we said, to pull us away, to lead us astray. Our temptations, the sin, the struggles we have with immorality, yes, they're everywhere at every corner, everywhere we walk. They are gonna be right there coming after us, pursuing us even. First Peter, he says this about the way the enemy works. First Peter 5.8 says, gives a caution and a warning, but then also a fact. It says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. That's what's happening here in this story Solomon's telling. 
He says, yeah, there's a man that had no sense, shouldn't have been where he was, but he's, he's seeing the enemy come after him with crafty intent. Yes, our sins and our temptations are everywhere, but they're also pursuing us. She says, I came out to meet you. I was looking for you, and then I found you. And then she goes on, and, and we see the way that our temptations then begin to, to develop. We, we've, been, we've been faced with a temptation. Now it becomes very appealing. What does she say next? She says, I've covered my bed with colored linens from Egypt. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. For this young man that had no sense, that was appealing for him, apparently. But she starts to lay out, this is appealing starts to say how great this is going to be. And, and our sins and our temptations most definitely are appealing. If a temptation is not tempting, it's not a temptation. So of course it's going to be appealing. Even as a believer, temptations are still tempting. They're still appealing. And that's what, that's what we're seeing here. She speaks to what would it be appealing to him. Then she goes on and says, come, let's drink deeply of love till morning. Let's enjoy ourselves. Or now she... Now, now this temptation plays the enjoy card. First, it, it makes you aware of it, of the temptation and the struggle, that other path, that other option. Then it starts to, to come after you and keep pursuing you, almost wearing you down to the point where, okay, maybe it doesn't sound so bad after all. Maybe I could just this one time, or maybe it won't be all the time, just a little bit at a time. And, and now there's the enjoyment card that gets thrown out there. It's like, come on, everybody's doing it. Yeah, bring that back from peer pressure. There's middle school for you. And, and all of a sudden, it's, it's an enjoyment. And we'll, well, yeah, of course. Satan is not an idiot. He has, he has crafted our temptations to be, to be appealing to us and even to, to speak to what we would enjoy. If we wouldn't enjoy it, then no one would do it. But he's saying, no, this, let's enjoy ourselves. Let's live. Let's live it up. Spoke to the enjoyment of this young man. And then the kicker. Here's what sealed the deal. Verse 19. My husband is not at home. He's gone away on a long journey, and he won't be back for a long time. Because up until this point, we would imagine this young man is thinking of, well, what if I get caught? Yeah, it sounds appealing. Man, that sounds great. What if I get caught? And without him ever saying, notice, this young man has not said anything. She immediately says, you won't get caught. There's no consequences, basically. This is fine. Enjoy yourself. Live a little. Let's come this way. He says, you won't get caught. There's no consequences. That's the, 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 prog or the, the process that our temptations take us. That's the path that our temptations lead us down. We are not immune to being tempted. And no, it's, it's not going to go away. You will continue to be tempted. I will continue to be tempted. If we're following Jesus and we're on his path, we will always, always be tempted to take detours and take other paths. That's why it shouldn't be left up to us on which path to take. It might appear right. And this young man said, well, it doesn't sound so bad after you mentioned all that. Sure, it sounds appealing and, and enjoyable. And oh, if there's no consequences, if I won't get caught, why not? And all of a sudden, you start to be let off, become led astray. That's the process every single one of our temptations take. Make us aware of it. That's the, it's everywhere, around every corner, around every street, to the point where it's, I've been looking for you. We're pursued by those struggles that we just can't seem to get away from them because they're constantly coming after us. Then it appeals to us and even our senses to the point of where it sounds really enjoyable. It, well, it makes sense. I won't get caught. There's no consequences. There must not be anything wrong with it. That's the process that leads us off God's path. 
Look what happens next. So she goes through this whole spiel, the crafty intent of the temptation. Verse 21, with persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. And all at once he followed her like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer stepping into a noose, till an arrow pierces its liver, like a bird darting into a snare. Are you getting the picture? <laughs> little knowing, look at this, little knowing it will cost him his life. He hasn't said a word, this young man with no sense. The temptation seduced him to a place where it led him astray. It led him astray. The temptation did not force it. There was no real bribe. It was truly just exactly what a temptation does. Seduction, smooth talk, persuasion. It's not so bad. There's no consequences to a point where it led him astray. Now, what's interesting here is how this ties back into that first aha moment of why we shouldn't leave all of our choosing of paths and decisions to ourselves. Because it appears right, but in the end it may lead you to death, which is exactly what happened to this young man here in the story. Little knowing it cost him his life. Understand, this is not some evil young man that's just trying to defy God and his parents in every way possible. No, this is a, a young man that just didn't know. He didn't have the life experiences yet. Hadn't gained wisdom yet. Didn't know how to handle all of these different has and options and decisions and temptations and, well, what do I do? To the point where it says, little did he know that it would cost him his life. He wasn't aware of the destination his new path was taking him. Was not aware. It's those moments where we wake up one day and we're like, how did I get here? I had no intent of coming this far over. I, I mean, I used to be over there and now I find myself over here. I used to follow God and now I, I, I'm, I how did I get here? And we're perplexed on how we can shift so far over. But it's because of that process of temptation, the craftiness of our enemy. That Yes, we may have been on one path, but over time of us choosing which path to take, over time, all of a sudden, we're in a place where we're like, I didn't realize I was going to be in this place. Little did he know that it would cost him his life. Now, I want you to think back with me, or if you've got your Bibles, look back. Verse 2. We started chapter 7, verse 2, and you see how this is going to bookend. You see both, both options when it comes to a path. Verse 2 says, keep my commands and you will, you remember what it said? Live. Keep my commands and you will live. Guard my teachings as the apple of your eye. That's what we should do. The end, you see, here's a young man that made just in-the-moment decisions and kept taking paths with whatever he felt like he wanted to in the moment. And where did that lead him? Well, the last, the last part of what we just read, little knowing it will cost him his life. He was persuaded and he was led astray, led astray to a place where it eventually would cost him his life. Now, what do we do with that? Because it doesn't help a whole lot to just focus on verse two, keep my commands and you will live. Yeah, but there's a lot of gray areas out there. And, and let, let's see if we can make it a little bit more helpful, a little bit more tangible. Solomon actually does that. Proverbs chapter four 25 and 26, and he kind of wraps it up with a little a nice little bow on 27, gives us some, some very real, very tangible, here's how you walk with God. Here's how you stay walking with God and you keep from going onto other paths that you shouldn't be on. Here's what he says. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the paths for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. 
Then he ties it all up, kind of sums it up. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Keep your foot from evil. That's wisdom. It's not just facts. It's not just understanding. It's here's what you do with it. Wisdom is only wisdom if you're applying it, if you're doing it, not just hearing it and listening, but actually living it out. We won't live it out perfectly. I get that. But it's the attempt. It's, I'm working on it. He starts out and he says, fix your eyes on him. Set your gaze on him. So we're straight ahead. Keep your eyes on Jesus. That's where you start. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Notice, you end up going where your eyes go. So if, if we start veering off and something else gets our attention, it's very difficult to walk a straight line if you're looking somewhere else. Eventually, you will start veering off in that direction. Keep your eyes on Jesus. You gotta have these blinders on because there's a lot of temptations. There's a lot of detours off to the sides. Keep your eyes fixed straight ahead. Look straight ahead at Jesus. Now, what does that actually look like? It's gonna be different for each of us. You've got to figure out, how do I keep Jesus on the front of my mind all the time? You've got to figure that out. How do I keep Jesus in my line of sight all the time? One of the ways that, that just as a, as a Christian culture, we have kind of integrated, which I get asked all the time, why do we do this? Praying before meals. Is it biblical to pray before meals? I mean, there's never a command, thou shalt pray before every time you eat. You're not going to find that in there. You will find instances of, of Christians, early Christians praying together at meals, but you never see a command. The reason that's become, become part of our, again, Christian culture is because it's, it's three obvious opportunities to keep your eyes on Jesus and maybe even to realign your eyes. Like, oh man, it's been a rough morning. Good thing lunch is here because I'm gonna pray for 30 seconds. At least I did something. Same thing with my kids. The reason we pray together as a family around every meal is because it is a guaranteed three times a day that they will fix their eyes on Jesus. And that's, that's, when you say it like that, that's a good reason to pray before meals. I'm gonna fix my eyes on Jesus three times throughout my day at different times. You had nighttime in there, now you're at four times a day. That's pretty good. What does it take for you to get Jesus in front of you all the time? Don't limit it to just praying throughout the day. That's why you get in God's word. That's why I'm encouraging you to read through Proverbs this entire summer. Wake up five minutes early or before you even get out of bed, read a proverb and you've started your day off with eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Then he gives another one. And this is an interesting phrase. He says, give careful thought to the paths for your feet. In other words, think before you step. Think before you step. Look before you step. We had our kids camping this last week with our life group, had a great time, and we're out in the lake, and I kept reminding Connor to when he, because he was just, I mean, he's fearless. He just runs straight into the water. And I'm like, there's rocks under there. <laughs> Maybe we should look first before you just dive on in. And he's like, oh, that's a good idea. I was like, I know. I've hit my head a few times on rocks diving into a lake. So look, think, pay attention. Remember what First Peter said? Pay attention, be alert, sober of mind, notice your surroundings. But here's, here's a good kind of mental exercise is every time you're about to make a decision, and I don't mean like, which shoe do I put on first? I mean like a decision that is a path-changing decision. Stop and think first. And here's the thought. Does this next step keep me or put me on God's path, or does it take me off God's path? Which is it? Does this keep me on God's path, or does it take me off God's path? And if you're not sure, go look. God, I've got several options here. What does your word say about these paths? 
Imagine how different the story would have gone if that young man, that youth with no sense, did that. The crafty prostitute just gave all of this great reasons why he should be led that direction. What if before being led astray, he said, interesting proposal, prostitute. Let me look at what God's word had to say about it. I have to actually decline. Thank you, but no thank you. It would have been a different story, right? Now we can laugh at that, but we make decisions all the time that are path-altering, changing decisions without consulting our map, without consulting God's words. What do you say in verse two? Keep my commands and you will live. Do it on your own and who knows where you'll end up. Pay attention, think before you step. Is this gonna keep me on God's path or is it not? The last one here, one word. Well, one word tied into a phrase, steadfast. Be steadfast. That speaks to endurance. That speaks to grit. Somebody told me a long time ago, I read it and, and had taken it to heart. It says, basically, you're, you're choosing the pain of discipline now rather than the pain of regret later. That's what steadfast means. And honestly, that's what it means to be a disciple, to be disciplined to follow Jesus. That road, that path to following Jesus, sometimes look like, looks like that sleepy hollow one. You're like, I don't know about this. <laughs> that one looks a lot easier. Let's try that. But no, I'm, I'm going to be steadfast. I'm going to choose to be Discipline. I'm going to choose the pain of discipline now because what happens is anytime we're led astray, we've all been there. We've all been led astray. We get this where we get to here and we say, man, if I had it to do over, I would, I would have done that differently. I would have changed that. I would have chosen a different path then. And we're living with the pain of regret. Choose the pain of discipline now rather than the pain of regret later. Now, like I said, we don't do this perfectly. We stumble in the right direction. We say that a lot. It's how I live my life. I stumble in the right direction. We're going to fall down. We're going to get bruised along the way. We're going to make a lot of mistakes. But here's the greatest news you're going to hear this morning. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6. All of us, say all of us, all of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We're no different than this youth that had no sense. We have moments of no sense. <laughs> where our temptations look better and better and they wear us down and we finally say, okay, and we get led astray. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Now, I'm not gonna be a Debbie Downer here, but can I give you a minute to just think through some of those moments that we all have? Moments where all of us have strayed away, we've been led astray, or we have chosen our own path versus God's. Yet, yet, the Lord laid on him, talking about Jesus, the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Yes, we all have been led astray. We've all been seduced by the crafty enemy. And we have chosen our path instead of the path he's laid out for us. Yes, we have all done that. Any of us may even be there. Yet, God had a much greater plan. Nothing surprises him. Nothing shocks him. He says, I've got a plan for that. You find yourself way over there, I already have a plan to get you back. Jesus. And he laid our sins on him to bring us back to God, to bring us back on the right path. All of us have been led astray. Have you been brought back yet, though? That would be my question for you. Do you have a relationship with Jesus? Or are you still trying to get to your destination, just choosing whichever path looks right at the time? 
careful. The way that appears right may actually lead you to death. What we read through Scripture is don't rely on yourself to make those decisions. Which path to take? Let God do that for you. Keep his commands. Follow him. And when we do get led astray, because we all will, all of us, his grace pulls us back. It's called the gospel. That's the greatest news we'll ever hear. That Jesus came for every single one of us to give his life to pull us back, to bring us back, to pursue us, and then bring us back to him. There is no path you could be on so far away from God that he could not bring you back. You're never too far from God. You're never so far off that he's, he's unable or unwilling to bring you back. No matter how far off track you've gotten, he will always, always be there to bring you back. If you have a relationship with Jesus, but you've had a lot of wavering moments of, well, I was over there. <laughs> now I've been led astray. It's never... Like I said, never too far off, but I mean, why wait to get back on track? Get your eyes back on Jesus right here, right now. Let this be that moment where you're like, yeah, I've wandered off for a while. I've been doing my own thing. Man, it's time for me to get my eyes back on Jesus. Remember that first part he said? He said, fix your eyes on him. Keep them straight ahead. Stop looking every other direction. Get them back on him right here, right now. Get your eyes on Jesus. Think before you step. Man, let's just have the grit of a disciple that says, I'm going to follow him no matter what. I will stumble along the way. My heart and my prayer for you this morning would be that you would get your eyes on Jesus. Wherever you currently are, doesn't matter at this point. What matters is where your eyes are going to be right here, right now. Get your eyes back on Jesus, whether it's for the first time or whether, man, you need to recalibrate, get back on track. He always pulls us back to him if we're willing. So whether it's a first time look at Jesus, or whether it's like, yeah, living in the, the season of regret, it's time to get my eyes back on Jesus. Let's do that together this morning. Let me pray for us, and then as Andrew and the team continue to lead us, let's realign our hearts, our eyes, and our minds on Jesus and get back on his path. Jesus, thank you so much for what you do in our lives. Thank you that we're never too far gone or too far off, that you will always, always, always come after us and you will never stop. God, there's nothing that we could do that would make you love us any less. There's nothing we could have done that would diminish your love and your desire to be with us. That's grace. So this morning, we, we simply thank you for your grace because it's what brings us back to you. Your scripture says it's your grace that has saved us. Save us once again from ourselves. As we veer off path, in this moment, we realign our eyes and we get our eyes back on you. Draw us back to you so that we may have life with you again. In Jesus' name.